Uh, the observant among you will notice that this isn't, in fact, Nikki Robertson. Uh, bless her, she's ill. And so Phil, who led our prayers, is going to read the Bible passage. Oh, he's, he's not. Somebody else is going to read our Bible passage for us. Excellent. David is going to read our Bible passage for us. Thanks. Thanks. Good to be finally doing this here at Saint, uh, All Saints at last. Here's a... Mark 5, verses 1 to 20. The healing of a demon-possessed man. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out to the, of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with the stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, "'What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me.' For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people who went, people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people who had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed demon begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell, tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Lead us in a prayer as we look at that passage. Father, I pray that we might meet Jesus this morning. Uh, Father, some of the stuff in this passage is, is tricky, uh, and so I need your spirit to direct my words, um, and we need your spirit to, um, to open our hearts and our minds to understand Christ uh, and to fall before him. So, Father, would you do that, I pray. Amen. Um, well, we're at the start of a, a, a new year, um, and we're back in Mark's Gospel. We're, we're towards the start of a new series. We kicked it off uh, last week. Uh, you can go back and listen to that uh, online if you weren't uh, with us. Uh, and, uh, and we're immediately confronted by a massive question as we come to uh, this, uh, this Bible passage. And it's a big question, which is, what do we do with the problem of evil? What do we do 
about the problem of evil. Uh, we see it there. Uh, Mark 5 verse 1, uh, they went across the lake, that's Jesus and his disciples, uh, to the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Here we start one of the, in fact, the longest explanation of an exorcism that happens in the scriptures. Certainly in Mark, I think it's in all of the the scriptures. And for some of us immediately, that's where we kind of get off. (laughs) Some of you guys are like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm fairly new here. I I, I, I was okay with the Christmas stuff. Uh, Jesus, angels, yeah, that's fine. Uh, Demons? Devils? (laughs) Really? Uh, I'm I'm not okay with that. Others of us, perhaps uh, we just kind of feel a little bit awkward when the Bible goes to places like this. Demons? Really? Personal forces of evil? Uh, Are we sure? Surely not. Some of us look at this and we go, actually, do you know what? That's the very reason why I can't believe any of this stuff. If that's you, please thank you so much for, for coming and listening. Um, but, but for some of us, we, we go, do you know what? Uh, they were so naive back then. You know, here is a man who's evidently uh, mentally ill, uh, got all sorts of, of socio-political problems. And what do they do? They lump it all in with demon possession. Uh, that's the problem, actually, with, uh, with these Bible types. Uh, they, they, they just go straight to the easy answer, not the scientific answer. No, it's just demons. Naive, we think. Uh, and we have to say that there have been times in history where people have naively attributed all sorts of illness and situations to to demons. But that's not actually the worldview of the Scriptures. Uh, The Scriptures are far more nuanced, actually, with this uh, than we might... Uh, than we might think on, on, on first reckoning. Um, just the, uh, the gospel before in, in, in Matthew, um, it says this in Matthew four twenty four. Uh, news about Jesus spread all over Syria, and they brought him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Now, actually, that, that verse is, uh, is, is, um, contains the Greek word from which uh, we get lunatic. Uh, and it's not the demon-possessed that we get that word from. No, it, it's actually uh, there from, from, the, um, from, from the verse that's talking about uh, those who suffer with seizures. Now, I'm not saying that we should use the word lunatic. Uh, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty negative word. But what I'm saying here is that the Scriptures, they attribute all sorts of reasons to all sorts of behaviors. The the scriptures have categories for uh, physically unwell, for mentally unwell, for societal reasons, but also they've got this category for spiritually oppressed. Uh, The scriptures have got those different categories. It's not that they write off medically unwell or those uh, who have seizures or those who are epileptic. They don't. They see them but they also see a spiritual element that is going on here. Now, some of, us, uh, uh, some, some, some of us might need a little bit more explanation. It might be that we can say, hey, yeah, I, I see that the Scriptures have got that category, but I, I don't. What's, what, what's going on with devils or demons? Um, h- how can I possibly believe that? Well, 
Think with me. Um, very few of us would say that there, are, there is no evil, right? There are things that we look at and we say, that is evil. That act or that cooperation uh, is, is doing things that are obviously evil. Now, it might be actually that you're here um, and, uh, and you don't believe that, and, and you believe we are simply the result of time and chance and evolution, um, and, uh, and, and there is no God and no spiritual reality. Uh, if that's you, then uh, I recognize that for you, it's quite hard in some ways to call something evil, evil, because actually the, the strong do take advantage of the weak. That's what evolution is, survival of the fittest, right? And so it's quite difficult to nuance that. But for most people, they would say, no, there is such a thing as evil. And and then the question comes, where does that come from? And of course, there are lots of answers to that. Sometimes people have got things that have happened in their past that mean that that they do awful things. Evil breeds evil. Uh, Other times, uh, we might say that somebody is ignorant. They they don't understand what they are doing is evil. And so what they need is uh, is education. Sometimes we might look at somewhere and we might say, actually, the culture or the society or or, or that area breeds evil in people. Now, we need to be very careful about that, actually, don't we? Because that kind of justification has caused all sorts of horrendous things in human history. But there are times, aren't there, when we look at things and we say, that is an evil that isn't fully explained by background or education or societal pressures. It it seems that this is particularly evil. We look at things that have happened in history and we say, there is an evilness about that which feels bigger or stronger. Ask yourself, could those evil things in your history, or in our history, be completely, uh, could could they have been solved by the right medication, uh, the right therapy, uh, the right societal pressures at the time? And if your answer is no, then maybe you're getting to a point of saying that there might be something more that is sometimes using some of those other things, but that is a force of evil in this world. The scriptures speak of a personal God. It's not surprising that therefore there would be personal evil as well. And what we see in this passage is an extreme example of that personal evil being uh, at, uh, at play. Now, I've, I've labored that point, and I'm, I'm sorry I've labored that point, but the, the reason for doing that is that if we don't get this, then we don't really realize the extent of the problem here. You see, if evil is something that we can sort out ourselves, then there's not really too much of a problem. But actually, if evil is a bigger issue, then we rightly feel uncomfortable because it's something that we cannot combat ourselves. And here is a man who is in just that place. Verse 3, a man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
This is a man who is beyond hope. The, 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 um, the language this is written in is a triple negative. It literally says, not, no longer, no one could bind. This, this is somebody who is, uh, who is beyond hope. He is literally and figuratively living in the grave. Uh, aside from society, uh, people scared of him. Uh, he, is, he is beyond hope. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, and this verse, when we think about it, makes us weep. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Here is a man who is utterly trapped beyond help and is deeply distressed by it. Now, this is an extreme example. Uh, and and we, we, we see kind of uh, this sort of demonic activity in, uh, in the Gospels uh, more so than we see it anywhere else. Uh, and again, just bear with me on this. Uh, imagine if there is, an, if there is a, a personal power of evil, then when he sees God walking on earth, he's going to bring his A-game, right? He's going to bring, uh, the, 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 uh, bring out the big guns. And, and here we see the big guns coming out. And yet, what we see here is something of how evil works. See, this man, he is supernaturally strong. Uh, but he's not always been that way. Verse 4, for he had often been chained hand and foot. Or verse 3, any more, that word any more. They couldn't bind him anymore. It, it was as if uh, there was a time when he was bindable, when he was able to be with society, if bound. Now he can't even be bound anymore. He has this supernatural strength. What's going on there? Well, this is what evil does all the time. Evil rewards obedience to it. What do I mean? Well, let's take it on a really small scale. Um, uh, the, uh, the banker who can choose to invest in that company that oppresses the poor is often re- rewarded for, it, at least in the short term, right? That y- you get bigger dividends from it because you're not paying your workers as, they, as you should. Uh, and so uh, there are rewards there. Or, or, or that temptation to, to trample on others on your way up the career ladder. It brings some reward getting up the career ladder quickly. But what evil does is it offers this reward with one hand and it takes with the other, slowly taking from us. The banker who's getting those big dividends gets harder and harder hearted towards the poor he's oppressing. The one who's shooting up uh, the career ladder, standing on others, uh, may get to the place that she's wanting, but does so to the detriment of friends, relationships. You see, uh, evil will often offer with one hand and take with the other. Uh, And here that's happened again and again and again until this man is in a place of complete hopelessness. And so... What does he do? Well, Jesus uh, comes and he throws himself uh, at this man's feet. And if this so far has been utterly depressing to you, uh, I understand why it might be. This is a ray of hope, isn't it? Here is an extreme example. A man who later on we'll find out has uh, enough demons 
to fill 2,000 pigs. I mean, this is an extreme example. Still cannot help but fall at the feet of Jesus. He falls at the feet of Jesus. He he, he begs him, "What, what do you want with me? Don't torture me. Please, please send me into those pigs, says the many demons. He begged Jesus again and again. And so Jesus allows them to go into the pigs. And the whole herd, verse 13, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. What's, what's the demon's intent? What do they want? They want to, to drag those under their influence to the very depths. He takes those 2,000 pigs and down they go. Now, at this stage, a, a number of us are, are thinking, okay, what's with the pigs? <laughs> like, what's, what's going on with these pigs? Uh, and there are a few things just to say on these pigs, because it's, it's really quite helpful uh, at this point to, to pause on that. The uh, first thing to say is, is, is um, this is a Gentile area, not a Jewish area. You can tell that because they've got pigs. Jews aren't mad keen on eating pigs because God tells them not to uh, in the Old Testament. And so, um, uh, and so this is a Gentile area. Okay. Also, this is weird. Like, this doesn't happen elsewhere when you're reading the other sort of uh, exorcism accounts uh, uh, from, from this sort of time. Um, demons going to pigs is a weird thing, which actually probably is, is a reason why we can believe it happened. Like, Mark's not going to include it unless it actually happened, because it's just weird, like a bit odd. People are like, what? Mark's not going to include it unless it happened. But how is it that the people there see these pigs? We're told that the pig owners, uh, uh, pig, sorry, shepherdy pig people. Do shepherds look after pigs? Shepherdy pig? Pig, uh, pig looker after us uh, run off and, uh, and they, they run to the local area uh, and they, they, they bring back the crowds and the people from the area, they come back uh, and what do they see? They see the man in his right mind, that's wonderful. Uh, and then they're told about the man and told about the pigs. And they ask Jesus to leave. And that's... In part because 2,000 pigs is a fairly major operation, even today. Like in those days, 2,000 pigs is a heck of a lot of bacon. It's a lot of money. This, this would be like Jesus coming in, saving a guy at the cost of a, of a multinational corporation. You know, this is a major business that's just gone down into the lake. This is a lot of money that's gone down the hill. And they think, I'm not sure we can afford to have this Jesus guy around much longer. They look at the pigs, they see pound signs. Uh, We look at the pigs now and we go, poor pigs. Like, poor cute little pigs. This this feels like animal cruelty, doesn't it? 2,000 pigs? I mean, that that would be, be... a disaster. Uh, and, and just think of, think of the smell as they began to, uh, it's just horrible. Uh, and rightly so, we look at the pigs and we think that's, that's not nice. But what does Jesus think at this moment? Jesus looks, he's got this man who is, uh, who is in bondage to the, the personal powers of evil 
And he looks at him and he says, one human soul is worth all the money of those 2,000 pigs and more. One human soul is worth all of those 2,000 pigs and many, many more. The price of a human soul is infinitely more than those pigs. The price of the human soul is infinitely more than the cost of that organization. Jesus values the human soul more. If you are shocked by the idea of these pigs, be all the more shocked that your soul is infinitely more valuable to Jesus than those 2,000 pigs. So Jesus sets this man free. But I haven't answered the question. How does Jesus deal with evil? Let's dive uh, very quickly back uh, and just look at uh, that exchange with the, uh, with the, uh, with, with the demon. Uh, and we see something odd, and maybe some of you will have thought, what on earth is that about? Um, you see verse 7, he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of God, uh, sorry, Jesus, son of the most high God. In other words, the demon knows exactly who Jesus is. But then his next sentence, to God incarnate, is, in God's name, don't torture me. Or swear to God that you won't torture me. Or, or on oath before God you should not torture me. Now, why on earth would a demon who knows who Jesus is call on the God who he's just said is his dad to defend the demon against Jesus? Like, surely, the de- surely God, the one he's calling to, is going to be on Jesus' side, isn't he? What's, what's going on there? Lots, lots of different people have got all sorts of different ideas. I think the best one is actually Matthew, um, the gospel writer. Uh, he, in his account, uh, he, he tells us a bit more about what this demon is saying. Uh, he says, um, the time for torturing me has not yet come. Have you come to torture me before the time? In other words, uh, the demon, personal force of evil, knows the law, right? How often is this the case? Evil knows and understands the law. So often the case. Uh, He understands the law. He says, I know God has got to do what is just and right. And I know that there is a day when I will no longer have this power. I know there is a day when I will no longer have power. But that day's not yet, Jesus. You can't torture me yet. You can't punish me yet, Jesus. He knows the law. And so Jesus allows him to go uh, into the pigs. But then how is it that Jesus is going to bring about that day? Well, the God who is just at this point is just once more. You see, uh, Jesus knows that in order for this demon uh, to be destroyed, and indeed all demons to be destroyed, uh, he knows that in order for there to be a day when there is no physical or mental or psychological or demonic pain anymore, uh, there must be justice. He needs to take the place of those who will accept that deal. I'll take good things or, or things that I think are good in response for doing evil. He needs to take the punishment for them. Uh, he needs to change places, in fact, with this man. Uh, did you see how the man was described? There he is in verse 5. In the tombs, crying out, bloody, bound. 
We could add naked because he's clothed in verse 10. And he meets with Jesus and then what is he doing? He's sitting with God, with Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And Jesus knows in order for that to happen, he's got to go to the end of Mark's gospel. And at the end of Mark's gospel, what do we see? Uh, There we see Jesus, the one who is clothed and on high in the very presence of God. And what has he done? He has found himself in the grave. He has put himself in the grave there, bloody and broken, having cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There, as he was bound and nailed to a cross, there we see Jesus having taken our place. Having disarmed the rulers of authorities, uh, having triumphed over them by the cross. There we see one who can bring about the end of all evil. Why? Because he has endured it. And on Resurrection Sunday, he rose again. There is one that we can flee to. When we feel tempted, we can run and throw ourselves at his feet knowing that he has defeated evil. There is one that we can trust in even when this world feels broken and scary because we know that he has done everything requisite to bring about a day, the day, when there is no mourning or crying or pain, where there is no demon possession or demon influence, where there's no evil, where there is no brokenness in our bodies or in our world, where there's no corporate corruption because sin and death will be no more. So what? May we be those who throw ourselves before Jesus willingly. May we be those who call upon him. And then may we be those who, like this man, stand and proclaim what God has done for us to our friends and to our neighbors. Your soul is infinitely more valuable to Jesus, not just than 2,000 pigs or all the money in the world, but is even more valuable to him than his blood and his life. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you so much for Jesus. Father, without him, we are without hope. We have no chance we have no chance against uh, our, our culture. We have no ch- chance against our, uh, our, our, own, uh, our own brokenness. We have no chance against our own sickness. And we have certainly no chance against the spiritual powers of evil. And yet with him, he has defeated those things. Help us to throw ourselves at him. To call on him. And to point others to him, I pray. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to sing a song that starts at Christmas, that goes through uh, to that final day.